1: Hello, I'm Christopher Hope, The Telegraph's Associate Editor for Politics, and this is Chopper's Politics. Now, regular listeners will know I'm off for a couple of weeks having a well-earned, I think well-earned, summer holiday. So as a treat for you listeners, we recorded a special Hustings hosted by The Telegraph with members in Cheltenham this week. The host is my good friend and Telegraph colleague Camilla Tomney. This is how it went.
2: Welcome to Cheltenham. Would you believe this is actually going to be the biggest hustings that have been hosted so far in this contest? I think there's 2,000 people here. So thank you very much for making the effort. Now obviously we're in a race course so I feel I have to use a few racing analogies. We're not in the final furlong are we? We're kind of halfway through. There's sort of still a steep climb and then a kind of free will to the finish. And I know the bookmakers are saying that this is a one horse race. They're saying that Liz Truss I think is ahead by two to one members. Maybe some of you in here are going to be disagreeing with that. We've had Rishi Sunak, haven't we, slightly on his high horse, saying that he'd rather lose than compromise on his own principles. So again, we're going to challenge him on that. But generally, this is all about you deciding, if you are currently undecided, who should be in the winner's enclosure. So I'm going to invite you to ask as punchy a questions as you can, as succinctly as you can, If we can try and avoid any repetition, that would be good. And it would also be good to hear from undecideds. I know a lot of you have got the kind of Liz for leader, ready for Rishi t-shirts on, but do put your hand up if you are genuinely undecided and there's some burning issue that you want to ask, because obviously that's what this evening is all about. Well, let's get this show on the road, I think is all that's left to say.
1: Please welcome Liz Truss.
2: Uh, Let's get into the most burning issue of the day, the week, the month, the time, and the summer. We've had financial journalist Martin Lewis warn today that the cost of living crisis is going to be as serious and detrimental to people as the pandemic. We've got the Telegraph website warning that energy bills might hit £5,000 in January. And we've also got Google Trends data showing that there has been a 2,400% increase in people Googling the term, can't pay my bills. So what exactly are you going to do to bring energy bills down, not in the future, but immediately if you become Prime Minister?
3: Well, first of all, what we shouldn't be doing is taking money off people in taxes and then giving it back to them in benefits. So the first thing we should be doing is lowering taxes. So, so, and on day, one, on day one, what I would do is reverse the national insurance increase but also have a temporary moratorium on the green energy levy so people are saving money on their fuel bills. But how and much then second, I'm, I'm the second thing I would do is focus on energy supply because this is an energy supply problem and we need to deal with the root cause. We need to make sure we're using our reserves in the North Sea and incentivizing companies to do that. We need to make sure we're fracking in parts of the country where there is local support for that taking place. And we need to get on, we need to get on with delivering the small modular nuclear reactors, which we produce here in Derbyshire. And we need to get on with nuclear power stations as well. So we need to press ahead with all of those supply issues. As Prime Minister, I would make sure I am working with the energy companies to get that supply on as quickly as possible and make sure we're dealing with the issue of high costs. Now, of course, we always need to make sure that we are helping people and supporting people, but fundamentally, the key to being able to do that is having economic growth. And we are currently forecast to have a recession. We have the highest taxes in 70 years, and if we allow a recession to happen, and I think there's a real danger of us talking ourselves into a recession at the moment. We will be in a much worse position later this year and next year. So getting economic growth going, doing those post-Brexit regulatory reforms, keeping taxes low is vitally important to be able to stabilise the economy so we are able to do all we can in these very difficult circumstances. Okay, so I think
2: people are very clear on your desire to cut taxes. Let's clarify the point you made about handouts. Are you for them or against them?
3: Camilla, what I have always said is my first preference is always to reduce taxes. I do not like the Gordon Brown style economics where you take money off people in taxes and give it back in benefits. And at the moment, we're all paying taxes. We're all paying taxes on the green energy levy on our fuel bills. What I can't do though, is I can't write the Chancellor's budget before I've even been selected as Prime Minister and I think that would be wrong. We need to look, I think this is important, we need to look at exactly what the situation is in September, we need to look at what measures we can take both on taxes and supply and other measures. But what I am not going to do is announce the results of that work now because I'm not Prime Minister I haven't yet been selected as know, prime minister if you
2: were, and we know but, that's but, your uh, clear what ambition what i've what i've, what I've laid out handouts for people but what i've laid out
3: is my first my first port of call is always reducing taxes because i think having a money go round where you take off money and taxes and give it back in benefits is fundamentally a bad approach more immediate And my help. second port of call is dealing with the supply issue fundamentally the problem we face is that prices are too high and if we keep just the answer to every question is raising tax, we will choke off economic growth and we will send ourselves to penury. And I think that's a massive problem.
2: Although the IFS has warned today that because of inflation, the government is likely to lose about 40% of its spending. So how can you actually afford tax cuts? You take away the levy and then what happens to the pay rises that have been promised to doctors and nurses, for instance?
3: Well, actually, the Treasury, the Treasury is currently making more money because of inflation out of taxes. So there are various impacts inflation has on the economy. And inflation is projected to peak at the end of this year and is projected to come down. It's been caused by a supply shock. And I think it's very important that we keep control of public sector wages, that we don't allow a wage price spiral to take place, that we do keep control of the public finances. But the most important issue we are facing is a potential recession. And what we know is that when you raise taxes too high, you actually cut off growth and you cut off revenues. So last time we reduced corporation tax, we actually increased the revenue. So it's a false economy putting up taxes. And it is part of the treasury orthodoxy to believe that if you put up taxes, you'll get more money in. That isn't necessarily the case what we often see is growth cut off, people don't want to invest, people don't think Britain is open for business. And I am somebody who is low tax, pro-growth, pro-opportunity, and I want a Britain that's open for business, I want to unleash this investment. And that is vitally important to be able to have the money to afford what we need in the public services, to be able to afford to cut taxes in future.
2: But are you low tax and high borrowing then? Rishi Sunak's just suggested that some of these tax cuts are gonna cost 50 billion pounds and it's gonna be put on the credit card of I suppose our children and grandchildren. Is that the case?
3: So my tax cuts, and by the way, one of them isn't a tax cut, it's not raising a tax. So I support not raising corporation tax to the same level as France. But those tax changes will cost 30 billion pounds. That is affordable within our current budget. We'll still be able to pay debt down after three years. But I'm afraid to say the plans of raising taxes are likely to lead to a recession, and with a recession, it'll be harder to pay the debt down. So I simply don't believe the argument that raising taxes will actually bring in more revenue. I think it's a very damaging thing to do, just as we have difficulties in the global economy. And none of our fellow fellow countries in the G7 are doing this. They're actually cutting taxes at but the moment. Borrow- borrowing isn't sort of conservative fiscal discipline, is it? Borrowing and borrowing and borrowing. Well, the government always borrows money. That's the reality. And in fact, we are borrowing less as a percentage of GDP than Japan, than Canada, than the United States. But with interest and, rates and, going up, it's gonna be expensive to but, borrow, isn't it? But Camilla, after major events, and COVID was a one in a hundred year event, It doesn't make sense to try and pay all the money back straight away, raising taxes and choking off growth. That doesn't make sense. Now, after the Second World War, we didn't decide we've got to pay all the debt back immediately. We paid it back over time. And I think we're trying to pay the debt off too quickly, and I think that will be damaging, and I actually think it will be counterproductive. We already forecast a recession. We know what that will mean. will mean less money coming into the Exchequer and fundamentally you know people are struggling with their bills this is why i want to cut the green energy levy to help people with their fuel bills i know small businesses are struggling with the cost of national insurance public services are struggling you know people who run social care operations are struggling with the cost of national insurance so this is hobbling people just at a time when we need to get the economy growing, and I think that is very, very damaging. And frankly, it's Gordon Brown economics. Okay. We saw him carry out exactly the same policies, so and we've had low growth for decades. Now, you were a Liberal Democrat Remainer. You're now a Brexiteer.
2: Are you just someone who blows in the direction of the political wind? How can people here trust in what you're saying? Isn't it just politically expedient to suddenly back leave?
3: Well, I, I left the Liberal Democrats when I was 20, Camilla and i think we all you know we all make mistakes as teenagers that we might regret some people drink too much some people take drugs uh, other people do other dangerous things i joined the liberal democrats yeah. but you know i'm 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 somebody look i i freely admit i freely admit to being on a political journey you know my parents were left wing my first political experience was age 8 being taken on a cnd march You know, campaigning to ban the bomb with my mum, and over time, I learnt to think for myself, and I I thought I don't agree with that. I I thought the Soviet Union was a you know, a damaging (laughs) a damaging force in the world, and actually, you know, I wanted to be on the side of freedom and democracy, and my political views have been shaped by a desire to see people free to live their own lives and free to get on in life. And, you know, as I, as I mentioned earlier, have those opportunities. And that, that's what shape. And yet, on the subject of supporting Remain, which, which I did under David Cameron's leadership, I was pretty equivocal at the time. I, you know, you can ask David Cameron about this. You know, there were lots of discussions at the time. I wasn't sure. And I was concerned about the potential disruption. But once people voted to leave, and I saw there wasn't the disruption, and I looked at the opportunities. And I have done more than most of the cabinet to deliver the opportunities of Brexit, okay. whether it's the trade deals, I whether guess. it's the Northern Ireland Protocol yeah. Bill. And you know, frankly, I don't think we have been fast enough at delivering things like Solvency II. I had a round table in the city last week. They told me if we got on with getting rid of Solvency II, it would free tens of billions of pounds that we could see invested right across Britain you know in places like the red wall in places like you know here in the aerospace industry in manufacturing industry and the fact is that hasn't happened because Whitehall has been too slow and I'm somebody that will push through Whitehall and I will get that stuff done and I will make it happen okay, so maybe your kind
2: of conversion on European issues is a bit like Thatcher's you're wearing the pussy bow blouses you're trying to emulate well, Mrs. Thatcher I'm you
3: today. Well, I think my outfit. Do you know happen. what? We're both there in we navy are.
2: blue. But what, what is the Thatcher thing? Is that Are you doing that on purpose,
3: dressing like her, acting like her? What's all that about? I'm, I'm my own person. I do think it is a thing about being a woman in politics that you always get, well, some people are saying, why not? And you know, look, don't get me wrong. I'm a massive fan of Mrs. Thatcher. But we live in different times. I am, I am my own person, but what I noticed, and I hope you're going to ask you know, Rishi Sunak, yes. you know, is he comparing himself to Ted Heath or is he comparing <laughs> himself to a male politician? Because male politicians never ever get that. Hola. They never ever get that. Right.
2: with that in mind, I'm going to ask you a few yes no's. Can you do yes no rather than?
3: Well, it depends uh, what the question
2: all is. All
0: right, <laughs>
3: will you cut foreign aid? I'll keep it as it is. Will we leave the ECHR? If we need to, but I'd rather legislate through the British Bill of Rights.
2: Will you sack 91,000 civil servants?
3: I will certainly reduce the size of the civil service over time.
2: This isn't yes, no, but okay.
3: (laughs) Will you scrap the BBC licence fee? I will reform the BBC licence fee, and I certainly think it's completely wrong that so many women are in jail for non-payment of it. And the
2: net zero pledge? I will keep the net zero pledge. Pass a law enforcing neutrality in our key institutions, including schools and universities.
3: I don't think that a law will actually change the culture. I think the culture needs to be driven from the top. And I think as conservatives, we have to be prepared to make the arguments for what we believe in. Too often we have out to left wing ideas like identity politics. And I'm somebody who goes out and makes the argument. I've been making the argument about single sex spaces. I made the argument that a woman is a woman. And that's what we need. We need strong conservatives being proud of who we are, making those arguments. You can't pass a law to tell people what to think. No. What you have to do is you make an argument. And there will always be left-wing people. You know, socialism never dies. Even though it's never worked in any country in the world, we still had Jeremy Corbyn and his movement. So you know, what we, what we have to be prepared to do is make the argument and be bold. And you know, And this is my point about taxes. You know, how on earth can we as conservatives have the highest tax rates for 70 years and say that they should go up? I just find that absolutely astonishing. We have to have the courage of our convictions, which is believing that people should be able to spend their own money and it's their money. Yep. Believing in business, being prepared to back business, big and small, and being prepared to be on the side who who work hard who are enterprising you know, and frankly we we've, we've conceded in too many of those debates Last and there's too much you know one thing i absolutely don't support is a windfall tax i think it's a labour idea it's all about bashing business and it sends the wrong message to international investors and to the public but then what do the public think about energy giants making three billion pounds in profits
2: while by the way they're already three billion pounds in debt to them
3: well first of all i don't think profit is a dirty word and the fact it's become a dirty word in our society is a massive problem because there are you know in this audience today we have hundreds of people who run businesses and make a profit and i think that's a good thing now of course the energy giants if they're in an oligopoly should be held to account and i would make sure they're rigorously held to account but the way we bandy the word around profit, is it, is it something that's dirty and evil? We shouldn't be doing that as Conservatives. And no, actually, we're playing into the hands of people like Jeremy Corbyn, who want to completely undermine our way of life. We must go to the audience, final yes or no, cap on immigration? No, I think we should, we should have the skills we need in our country, but I don't believe in an arbitrary target. When we had one before, it didn't work. All right, audience, um,
2: you can see people with microphones, they're wearing white, put your hand up. As I said before, it'd be great to get some undecideds rather than someone in a t-shirt because we kind of already know where you stand on these issues. Um, this man here. I, I
3: believe that these people can be converted, Camilla. Well,
2: all right, see if you can convert a a ready for Rishia. Yes, sir.
4: Thank you, uh, I, I'm a, an undecided when I walked through the door. But I must say what I've heard tonight has impressed me. Thank you, Liz. That was very good. Question? Um, the the question I have is about renewable energy. You you spoke about the, the, the wind farms and the fact that uh, the, the farmers can't use their fields uh, for their animals and to grow uh, crop. But, you know, we're surrounded as an island by the most almighty power, which is tide. And I'm not talking about... Building barrages. I'm talking about the amount of uh, the current that goes around the, 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 the British Isles. Uh, I live in just outside Bristol.
2: Your question, sir. Sorry, yes. It's only because we're, we're, we're short the tide on is time. Nine knots, Let's be
3: expedient. Tidal energy. You're asking. So,
4: will you will you consider tidal energy in your future future strategy?
3: So yes is the answer. I think it should be. I think it should be part of the solar. And by the way, on solar panels, I'm not against solar panels per se. There are plenty of commercial roofs in Britain where we should be putting solar panels, but where they shouldn't be is on productive agricultural land that should be used for food production. So there's a place for all these technologies, but it needs to be the right place. Okay. Um, let's have a look round.
2: Just gonna get a, a lie of the land. Uh, the lady on the end there with the um, with her hand up there and the glasses on her head. Thank you,
5: Thank you very much. Um, What would be your plan to restore water quality in our rivers, um, particularly the River Wye, which uh, is severely impacted by agricultural diffuse pollution?
2: Could you also deal with drought in that question as well, Liz, because of the problems we've been having with, well, water companies leaching, I think it's 2.4 billion litres of water um, a day. I mean,
3: the answer is we need to be much tougher on water companies, particularly on leaks and also emitting uh, you know, nasty pollutants into rivers and you know, in Norfolk we have some fantastic chalk streams and they are very, very precious and we need to do all we can to make sure they're protected so I would make sure the water companies are held to account and also make sure we are dealing with the effluent uh, that is going into our waterways and what you know, we still have on our statute books, we still have EU environment law and what I want to do is look at the specific flora and fauna in Britain and how we make sure we protect, um, we protect those endangered species and you know, specific natural habitats like chalk streams here in the United Kingdom. And that is a key law I think we need to change. But at the moment, we're protecting some of the wrong things and we're not protecting the right things. This water
2: company target that was set several years ago to reduce this wastage by 16%, percent It's not high enough, is it? Why should our bills go up if the water companies can't keep the water in the pipes?
3: I I agree with you. And I think the problem with a lot of utility regulation is we were one of the first countries to privatise utilities. And we created these regulators. But over time, they have become less effective at doing the job. And in some cases they're actually not promoting enough growth and competition as well. So I would review the regulators and how they're operating to make sure they are much more effective. But you're you're right, water is a natural monopoly and we've gotta be tough on the water companies to do the right thing.
2: The chap here in the blue jacket please.
6: Evening, Liz. Uh,
1: what is your definition of success? Ninety days having walked through the gates of Number Ten.
3: So, what? What? You know, I think the crucial issues we face at the moment. You know, number one is the economy, and relieving the burden of people of the cost of living will be very important. I want British businesses and British people to understand we're moving in the right direction and the pressures are being reduced. So that's a very important priority. Priority two is getting the economy growing and sending a real signal to the world and British business that we're on their side and we want to open up opportunities and we want to see new investment. And the third thing we've got to do is really get a grip of waiting lists in the NHS, GP's appointments and dentist appointment. That is a very, very serious issue. It's not good enough at the moment. We need to empower people on the front line. So those would be my first three priorities. But there is a, there is a massive list. I'm not denying it's a challenging time, but those are very important priorities.
2: The chap there um, with the glasses on, um, young chap in the white shirt, please.
1: Thank you. Um, Liz, blending hydrogen into the gas network could diversify UK energy supplies, giving access to hydrogen megaprojects around the world. Trials undertaken in the UK by the High Deploy Project have already conclusively shown that domestic gas appliances can operate safely with up to 20% hydrogen with no disruption to consumer, reducing emissions in a conservative way. So- Industry are ready to get on and do this, but they're being held up by uncertainty from government. So if you are elected as leader in PM, will you in your first hundred days make a formal policy decision to change regulations, allow blending of hydrogen into the network, and let industry get on and safeguard our energy security? Thank
3: you. I think, I mean, you, you've just made a fantastic point. I think hydrogen is very important. It does work with natural gas. We can use a lot of the same infrastructure, and I support what you're saying. How quickly would you want to start fracking? Well, I would want to get on with all, You know, we've heard about tidal power, we've heard about hydrogen. I've talked about small modular reactors. There's also more gas to be exploited in the North Sea, which I think we could get on stream pretty quickly. And I would want to move as fast as possible with all of those solutions because energy security is an absolutely key priority as well as keeping prices low for consumers and you know, my view is rather than, and this is the point I'm making about people talking about subsidizing consumers, of course you know, we always need to make sure that people are able to you know, live in our society that they are able to get by but we've got to look at the root cause of what these energy costs are and why they're being generated and what we can do to deal with these supplies. And frankly, we've been too slow. You know, we've been too slow on nuclear, we've been too slow on hydrogen, we've been too slow on these other technologies. So I would get them going as soon as possible.
2: Um, The lady over there, um, second row in. Sorry, I'm making making the guys in the hoodies run around um, the auditorium. You're getting your steps up, don't worry.
5: Liz, I gather you are a, you were
2: a Remainer and I have to applaud you the way that I have seen on the TV you racing around the globe making trade deals of whatever. But I don't seem to read about the trade deals and whether they're working. Can you tell me how many are actually up and running, totally confirmed and actually giving a benefit to Britain
3: so there are there are just over 70 I think there have been a few more signs since I left the trade department but all of those are in place and we were working right up to the 31st of December getting those in place to make sure that businesses could continue to trade and in some cases could get better deals than they'd had under the EU but you know we've today we're sponsored by the Telegraph. And I would love the media to spend more time talking about, trade deals. about
2: trade deals. You know, I mean, you've the written thing is, for us on trade you, deals. I have
3: written for you on trade deals. But you know, the point is that what trade deals is they open the door for business. But then we need to help businesses actually get their products into market. We set up the export support service to help do that. But I would love to see the press write write about that rather than about political you, rouse. you have happy the press this
2: week because you've had a bit of a go at us. Well, I
3: had a go at Tom Newton Dunn, but right. you're asking—you're asking much sounder well, questions, you Camilla. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, the lady well, over she there. she is, isn't she? I'm sure you know, she
2: is. The lady over there with the spotty dress, I think.
3: Thanks and, and thanks, Liz. Um, I think everybody in this room and Conservative members around the country are going to come behind whoever is our next leader and Prime Minister. So my question to you. My question to you this evening is when it comes to the general election in 2024, whenever it comes, what are the three things about you that are going to make sure that we bring swing voters along and hold on to the seats we won in 2019 and, and gain in other areas? Well, it's, first of all, I will not have an election before 2024. I think that's a very important point. And because we, we've got to deliver for people. And that is my number one point, that in 2019 we promised that we would deliver, we promised we'd level up the country, we promised we'd deliver broadband, we promised we'd deliver you know, less NHS waiting lists, more doctors, more police officers. We've got to deliver all that stuff and we've got to show people that things are getting better. And that for me is about opening opportunities, getting more investment, getting spades in the ground, get, getting economic growth. And even I, though I'm a pretty fast mover, I appreciate it will take some time to make that happen. So delivery is the number one point. The second point about me is that I don't make promises I can't keep, and I am a straightforward person who tells it like it is, and I think that is something that people across the country appreciate, and I've certainly found that when I'm traveling around and uh, and talking to people around the country. And the third way that I will win the next election is making sure we're using all of the Conservative team during this leadership race. We've seen some fantastic candidates. I'm delighted uh, that Penny Mordaunt and Tom Tugendhat are now backing my campaign. Uh, we've also got Richie, Kemi. You know, all really, really competent people. And what I want to see is a less presidential Number 10 and one that really presents a team of fantastic Conservatives who deliver for people right across the country. So so the three things I will do is first of all, I will deliver. Secondly, I will be honest and make sure people can trust me. And thirdly, I will do it as a team. OK, I'm looking at four minutes left on the
2: clock. So let's have rapid fire questions and answers. A man is so eager for me to pick him there with the sunglasses on his shirt. There, stand up if you will, sir, and then he can see you easily. Here, sorry. There we are. He's got his
3: sunglasses on indoors, which is bold. Do you know that it's hotter in Cheltenham than it is in Florida today? (laughs) Why aren't we staycationing after this? Well, we are. Well, we
2: we may as well. Let's go to the Cotswolds. Yes, sir.
4: Thank you very much, Liz. Lovely to see you. Um, You made two points about the environment,
6: which received rapturous applause in here. And I have to say, as a Conservative voter for nine years, it would receive... The absolute opposite outside green levy is 150 pound off a bill that does not touch the side probably of most people in the room their bills and secondly there is a question here secondly you say you go past farmer's field and you're horrified to see solar panels
4: you'll be even more horrified in a few years with drought with crop failure and everything else caused by the climate emergency cutting green levies now sends the wrong message to business
6: and it sends the wrong message to people do you think that's good enough
3: so i do not believe I, i do not believe we can tax ourselves to growth and i don't believe we should tax ourselves to net zero i want to achieve net zero but i want to do it in a way that harnesses capital that harnesses investment that harnesses the city of london to actually invest in the new technologies. So we've heard about these fantastic ideas like hydrogen, tidal power, but I'm afraid things like the green energy levy are yet another example of us taxing ordinary people rather than finding new innovative ways of bringing businesses in, bringing investment in to solve what are technological problems. And I don't agree it needs to be that way. I was an environmental activist before it was fashionable. I campaigned in the 1990s to protect the ozone layer, and it was Mrs. Thatcher who signed the Montreal Accord to protect it. But we don't need to accept that environmental goods have to come through left wing solutions. And fundamentally, I'm about investment and growth, not tax and spend. Thank you. A chat here, please
2: chap here has been waiting
4: patiently. Yes, sir. Good evening, uh, Liz. Um, my name's Harry from South West Wiltshire. Um, just really, um, we make it a priority for um, time to be given so we can push through the National Disability Strategy, and that way it would really, truly level up um, for all of disability disability um, all around the country. and. Truly, for us uh, disability conservatives, that's a key tenant surely of levelling up. And instead of it being blocked uh, by court challenges, yeah. um, can we get on and make this a key tenant in the next parliament?
3: Thank you, sir. The, an- the answer is yes. I, I fully, I fully support the strategy. I'm working closely with Chloe Smith in the. Uh, women and Equalities Department, and you're, you're absolutely right. What we need to be making sure is that everybody in our country has those opportunities, including people with disabilities. We need to get on with the strategy, and I can tell you, I will make sure it gets unblocked and it gets implemented.
2: Thank you. Uh, the man there in the check shirt, blue and white check shirt, please. Oh, hang on, wait for the microphone. Unless you're Brian Blessed. Yes, please, that guy there.
4: Liz, you've made a great play of your plans to cut back national insurance contributions, which has certainly grabbed the headlines and maybe that was your intention. To analyze national insurance contributions is complex because of different levels of contribution. What I have found is that it accounts for less than 7% of our national income. Um, not very much. So the reduction you promise is very little, which you claim will put money into consumers' pockets,
3: okay. which and they businesses. will go out
4: and spend, boosting our struggling economy. I doubt that people—I doubt that people will use the extra little bit of net income they have to pay their heating bills okay. this winter and will not boost our economy. Would you like to comment on that?
2: Sir, you're saying that the uh, changes to the levy, scrapping the levy, isn't going to make well, enough no, money. No, he
3: was asking about national insurance. The point about national insurance is, first of all, we promised not to raise it in our manifesto. Secondly, we didn't need to do it because we can afford to pay for the NHS increase out of general taxation. And third, this money is important to people. This is money that we are currently taking, not just from hardworking families, but also from small businesses, also from the public sector, who have to pay those extra national insurance contributions. And I think it is wrong at a time when we are facing economic difficulties to put up taxes. I think it's fundamentally unconservative, we didn't need to do it, and it's a drag on the economy. We should be doing all we can, including scrapping the or moratorium on the green energy levy to save people money on their bills and to put more money in people's pockets. And I believe it's their money, not our money. This is taxpayers' money. And too often we seem to forget that and think it's free money, it isn't. People work hard to earn that money, and we should take as little off them as we possibly can. I can see.
2: I can see that our time is up. Liz Truss, thank you very much, you. and good luck.
3: Thank you.
2: further ado, let's welcome onto the stage Rishi Sunak. Hello, how, how
6: are, are you? you? I'm You're? Very
2: well, Take right. a seat. You Fantastic. Wow, I've just been thinking the last time you and I sat together was in the Pret à Manger in Marsham Street, and you were running the government consultation into disabled toilets. That's and right. a lot's happened yes. in the preceding years. Now, um, you said yesterday, you came up with this remarkable statement that you'd rather lose than win an false promise. One bookmaker today has said that Liz is two to one ahead with the members. You've talked uh, very passionately about the cost of living crisis facing this country. We've got the CBI's Tony Danker saying the government's asleep at the wheel. There's a vacuum of power. Why not just step aside if she looks like she's going to win, and for the benefit of the company, com- country, let her go and VPN. For the,
6: for the simple reason that I'm fighting for what I believe is right for our country. And.
2: But then why do you think Chris Skidmore has defected from you to trust them?
6: Oh, well, look, I've got a lot of respect for all my colleagues. I'm still very proud of the fact that in the parliamentary stage of this, I led in every single round. I topped the ballot in every single round. I have the most support from members of parliament, and actually it's not just numbers. If you look at it, it's a breadth of support that I'm proud about. It's from parliamentary colleagues from across the spectrum. People who voted for Brexit, voted Remain, urban seats, rural seats, newer colleagues, most experienced colleagues. I'm really proud to have all their support, and I'm going to, as I said, we're, in the, we're only halfway through this thing. I'm going to fight till the last day with everything I've got, because I'm fighting for what I believe in.
2: And if you do lose, what happens? Do you quit politics? I say that simply because of the green card thing, maybe some aspirations in America. What would happen next for Rishi Sunak? I,
6: I, I mean, I'm... <laughs> Are <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They're
2: questions
6: that people want answered. Um, so, no, well, I, s- sadly, you're not going to get rid of me that easily, Camilla, all I can say. Uh...
2: So no plans to move to America?
6: No. Hey, I, you know, I, you know, several years ago, my, my members in Richmond, North Yorkshire, did me the enormous honour of selecting me as their candidate. And it is a great privilege to carry on representing them for as long as they'll have me.
2: Okay, so I asked this question to Liz specifically in mind of Martin Lewis's comments today, Google search is going up exponentially for how will I pay my bills, Uh, the Telegraph reporting that bills might go up to £5,000 next January. What specifically and exactly are you going to do to bring bills down? And I'm not talking about tax cuts in two years' time, I'm talking about immediate relief and help for families, in addition to what was announced in the budget.
6: Yes. I think there are three different ways to think about it. The first is I think everyone will need some help because the scale of the challenge we're facing is just that considerable. And what I've said is very quickly after taking office, I will cut VAT on energy bills and that will provide an extra around 200 pounds of support for all families. Exactly. And that will, well, that will come on top of the support that I announced as Chancellor, which is worth about 550 pounds to everyone. But then there are two other groups of people who need extra help and I talked about them earlier on, it's the most vulnerable in our society. People who don't have an easy way of increasing their incomes, don't have sufficient savings to dip into, and that's people on very low incomes and pensioners. Now, no tax cut and Liz's tax plan is not going to help those groups of people, right? So scrapping the health and social care levy as she wants to do is worth 1,700 pounds to her on her salary. For someone working really hard on the national living wage, it's worth just over a quid a week and for someone who's a pensioner without any earnings it's worth zero. Now I want to provide direct support to those groups of people.
2: But what are you actually proposing? Are you proposing a sort of reboot of furlough but for no. energy bills no. and no, how no. much is it going to cost no. and no. isn't that in turn going to be inflationary?
6: No. no actually I've already announced as Chancellor a mechanism to do it and it's to provide direct financial support to those groups of people. There'll be many pensioners here in the audience tonight they're used to receiving a winter fuel payment in the winter and what I did as Chancellor is say that we will provide additional payments alongside that and we will need to provide more than I thought previously because the bills are worse and we need to do the same for people on low incomes. Now there are existing mechanisms to do that that's what I I said as Chancellor, I will do more as Prime Minister. But if we don't do that, and this is for everyone, should just consider this point. If you support a plan that Liz is suggesting, which says she doesn't believe in doing that, doesn't believe in providing direct financial support to those groups of people, and that's what she said, because she thinks her tax cut is gonna help them, which it is not, we are gonna, as a Conservative government, leave millions of incredibly vulnerable people at the risk of real destitution. Now, I think that is a moral failure.
2: And I think people people will be, of course, in agreement with you when you're talking about people who are on universal credit, when you're talking about people who are on the state pension. But- it has been noted that there's been a lack of help from you from people who are sole traders from people who are running small and medium-sized businesses you're running a business in this country and you're looking at rishi sunak as chancellor and you're saying hang on a minute he's put up my national insurance competition so i'm doubly oh, right, taxed right, hang, hang on a minute he's putting up corporation tax what incentive do i have to run a small business okay. in this country
6: well well let's let's just look what happened for all those small businesses over the last couple of years the fact that they're all still here today is because of the things that I did over the last two years. Right, so no 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 but that but no no but let's let's talk finish the question, right? Because energy, I'm not I'm not I'm not dwelling on the as anybody. That's what there? we're doing this year. Now one of the industries that I passionately believe in when you talk about small businesses is the hospitality industry. Incredibly important across our economy for the number of people it employs. Actually, what what are we doing this year? We've cut their business rates by 50%. What are we doing to help with their employment costs? Cut their employment taxes by a thousand pounds. I announced that as Chancellor in my last budget. I'm also helping them grow and I'm also helping them grow and innovate. Actually, one of the things we have in this country, which we need to do a better job of, is supporting our small businesses to grow and innovate, use new technology. And that's why I created a program called Help to Grow. It provides them with mini MBAs. It provides them with software to get online to make sure their business can be even more profitable. That's what I'm doing for small businesses. And you talk about corporation tax. 70% of UK registered companies aren't going to see any change in their corporation tax under my plan, so they are going to be protected from that.
2: But 30 are, and corporation tax is going up. And the Tory manifesto said it wouldn't.
6: No, actually, the Tory manifesto said it would stay where it was, but we've so had a pandemic. We, 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 we've, had, we've had a pandemic since but let's talk about it. Yes, corporation tax is gonna go up for the largest businesses under my plan. Cause I think that's a reasonable and fair thing to do in the circumstances. But as I said, remember that 70% of companies won't see an increase. So small businesses are protected. The second thing you need to know is the rate that it is going up to is still the lowest in the G7 group of countries that we compete with. So it's still lower than America, France, Italy, Germany, Japan, Canada. Let's broaden it out to the 20 largest countries that we compete with. We'll still have the fourth lowest rate. So it's a very internationally competitive rate, but I'll tell you what you need to know most importantly is that alongside that, as I said in my speech, we are going to radically cut taxes for businesses that actually do the right things to grow our economy. That's businesses that invest more, businesses that innovate more. That's where our tax system isn't very generous. That's for how you drive growth and productivity and create jobs in a modern economy. So I want to cut the taxes on the things that work, not just sound okay. good.
2: So why so why, are, are tax cut? inflationary,
6: and why, are, why aren't your tax cuts inflationary? Because Liz, Liz, Liz Truss's Corporation Tax Plan is simply wrong. We've, general, tried, we've tried it for 10 years. And let me tell you all, business investment in this country today is no greater than it was a decade ago. It hasn't worked, the experiment on corporation tax rate. It just simply hasn't worked. If you want to drive growth in a modern economy, you need businesses to invest. Business investment in this country lags almost every other advanced economy. Why? There are many reasons, but one of them is that our tax treatment of it is not generous enough, and that's why we should focus our tax cuts on the things that actually will grow our economy, and that's why it's not inflationary. If you cut taxes for a business that is expanding its factory, putting in a new production line, putting in robotics to increase its productivity, that's how you create more products in a country. That's how you reduce inflation because they are proper supply side tax cuts.
2: What's confusing people, I think, is you sort of making a comment on the economy that you are in charge of. You know, why didn't you predict, for instance, the inflationary nature of quantitative easing? Why didn't you do anything about that?
6: When you talk about corporation tax, yes, and that's why I want quantity to change using. it. I'm
2: talking about quantitative easing. Some I... of the inflationary measures that were put in place by the Bank of England have proved to be disastrous. That happened under your watch. So why are you now saying to people, I'm going to repair the economy that has been damaged under your watch, some would argue?
6: Well, I think when it comes to the Bank of England, I think maybe unlike what you just said and unlike what Liz is saying, I believe in Bank of England independence. I think it's an important thing. I think it's a very important thing. And and I think actually I'm very nervous about things I hear elsewhere, about people who seem to think that from Liz's camp and her that we should scrap Bank of England independence. I think that would be a massive mistake for our country and international investors would really not look very kindly on it at all. But but what if
2: the Bank of England does things that seem to exacerbate the problem rather than solve it?
6: The Bank of England has an independent mandate. It is set by the government and it's right. And it's it's right that we are tough in making sure that we set the mandate right. I did that. But it's also worth considering there has been a war on, Camilla. Mm. The, The reason that energy prices are where they are in the first instance is because we collectively decided, rightly, to be robust in standing up to Russian aggression. That has led to higher energy prices, and, and, and we have to acknowledge that that is a big part of the reason we're suffering from inflation.
2: This question came up quite a lot with subscribers, so I'm going to ask it. If you are this sort of beacon of fiscal discipline, why did you veto chasing the 17 billion in fraudulent COVID loans?
3: Well, that,
6: well that's, that's just simply not right. I mean, who who on earth has said that? That's completely absurd. you you
2: did have a Treasury Minister resigning over what he described was your schoolboy
6: tactics in
2: failing to grasp the issue. Well,
6: maybe he and everyone else should read the report that was just published the other week. So did people fortunately
2: take loans or not? And did it happen on the Treasury's watch?
6: It it happens across the entirety of government spending. But what you need to realise now, because of the mechanisms that I put in place, the extra teams that are out recovering this stuff, the arrests that are being made, the new laws that we passed, the new agency at the National Crime Agency, the estimated fraud fraud in furlough now is actually estimated to be lower than a typical government program. And that's something I set up in a matter of weeks in the middle of a crisis. So actually I'm very proud of my record on furlough and I'm proud that we have gone after those who abused it. As a simple matter of fairness, it's wrong and we will relentlessly pursue them. So
2: was the Treasury Minister wrong to resign? Yes, he was. why is Simon Clark and Kwasi Kwarteng, your former cabinet colleagues, writing in The Telegraph saying that you re- resisted attempts to cut Brexit red tape, uh, that you uh, weren't committed to overhauling the Northern Ireland Protocol, uh, that you blocked EU insolvency to being changed? Are you just a nominal Brexiteer?
6: Right, that, I mean, a greatest respect for all my colleagues, so I'm not going to get engaged in, in this, but I would just gently point out that neither Kwasi nor Simon Clark had anything to do with Solvency II and financial services regulation. That wasn't done entirely by myself and John Glenn. And actually, there is a bill that is ready to introduce in Parliament as soon as I become Prime Minister, that will radically change not just Solvency II, but all of our financial services regulations.
2: But what about this general accusation, and maybe it comes from the right of the party, but it's unfair, that you sort of were taken hostage by the Treasury. A Treasury that we know is institutionally opposed to Brexit and constantly obsessing about EU markets rather than perhaps what
6: the I know. They, you know, they, they, they were. public voted for. Yeah, they, they were, Camilla, they were. And you know what, when they said that, I didn't listen to them. I voted for Brexit, but there was someone else who held up their Treasury documents. It wasn't me, it was Liz Truss at the time. Okay, so I'm very prepared to confront the consensus. Actually, on corporation tax, that's what we're doing. We're challenging consensus. On EU regulations, who's come up with a policy that actually takes advantage of Brexit in a radical way, creating free ports around the country? I did that, right? Who's actually scrapping EU laws off the statute book, replacing them with the British regulatory system in financial services? That's what I'm doing. I'm frustrated that I haven't seen that degree of radicalism across government. That's what I want to change. Right. So that this idea that somehow I'm not Brexiteer enough, I just find very puzzling.
2: Let's talk about your fellow Brexiteer, Boris Johnson, um, to conclude before we go to audience questions. Um, this Privilege Committee investigation, the goalposts have changed a bit. It was going to find out whether he had deliberately misled Parliament. Now it's just going to find out if he misled. Do you support that or do you think he should be recused of this investigation now?
6: So, uh, all I would say is that the MPs on the committee are the ones that make decisions and I fully support them. What's your opinion on it? Well, it's a Parliamentary. Actually, I haven't followed every twist and turn of it, to be honest, because I've I've been busy being out and about. Uh, It's a parliamentary process, not a government process. There's a difference between them, and I fully respect the MPs that are on the committee to make the right decisions. I personally believe very strongly in high standards. One of the things I would do almost immediately as Prime Minister is reinstate an independent advisor for ministerial interests, because everyone needs to know that trust, integrity, and decency belong at the heart of politics, and I will lead from the front.
2: Have you uh, spoken to Mr. Johnson since he resigned?
6: Yeah, you know, I I, I've messaged and called, but unsurprisingly, he hasn't returned my course. Strange. So. <laughs> um,
2: right, let's go to audience questions, please. Right. Put your hands straight up. Um, let's take this lady in the blue on, on the end here, please.
3: Hi Rishi, Um, I'm Penny Ann, I'm the National Voluntary Director for the CPF, Um, how would you ensure that your policy team engages with the CPF regularly and gets our feedback and also I was very um, interested to hear that you want every child to have a world class education, as a speech and language therapist I'm concerned that 69% of young offenders have undiagnosed speech and language needs and also the reading age between 4 and 8 years of age. So how do we ensure it truly is a world-class education system for everybody, including those with special
5: educational needs?
6: Thank you for the the excellent question. It's been a real privilege to work with John Penrose and all your colleagues while I was Chancellor, and thank you for all the ideas that you sent. So look, quickly on on the early years, and that's actually the point that I was going to make, because you talked about kids at a very early age, and you're right, because if we now look at all the negative outcomes we see in society, not just educationally, but all the other social ills, that we see in our older adults or late teens. What's clear is, if we could have solved them at a very early age, we would have made an enormous difference. Because actually, if you look at the inequality that exists in our school system when children leave school, most of it was there when they arrived. So if we actually can tackle things much earlier, as you said, focusing on those very early years, whether it's four year olds, five year olds, we can make an enormous difference. And I made some of that changes as chancellor, starting to focus more of our resources earlier on. And it's something I think we should keep doing. Now to your other question. Now, if you've got five minutes, get, I put it online on ConHome, it's called a contract with members. And it's what I want to do for the party, because we've talked a lot about what we'll do for the country in this uh, election. But for the party, what I want to do is make sure we actually regularly have a survey of all of you. It's a simple idea, but we don't do it currently. And what I'd like to do is make sure we have regular surveys of your opinions. But even better than that, there's no point just asking you what you think. What, I want to, what I've committed to is not only will we have those surveys, but that those topics will get discussed explicitly at political cabinet so that all of you feel that your participation and support of the party is being recognized and discussed at the highest levels so that we are all on the same team. And that's just one of the few changes I want to make.
2: I was going to ask on education because it was the subject of that lady's question. Obviously, lots have been made about uh, your wife's family wealth and things. You do appreciate, of course, as a Winchester schoolboy, that you were afforded opportunities that have not been offered to many, many, yes. many children in the UK. What will you do about that?
6: Uh, I, uh, yes, I have. But and I, and I am I am absolutely, as you saw from me on the stage, I'm not going to apologise for what my parents did for me. You must be joking.
4: Good evening, Rishi. Good evening. Um, So many of our public services um, just don't seem to be working. Uh, I know we've been through a pandemic, but I think the fact of life, from my perspective, is when we get to twenty twenty four and an election, if all these things—and I'm not going to rattle out the whole (laughs) list—everything from NHS or ambulance or border force or today we hear about police forces—the list is endless. It's almost like nothing is working. And whoever is Prime Minister, I think will get booted out in 2024, unless there are major improvements. And I think that will just be a fact of life, because people will say we need to change because... The, the phrase used to be, Labour wasn't working, Actually, it was a great slogan of ours some years back. I think probably Keir Starmer and co will be able to demonstrate that the Tory government yeah. is not working because so many of these things will still be below standard. Now, what are you going to fix it? Yep. And I'm not talking about highfalutin ideas, I'm talking at the coal face yep. where delivery counts.
6: Co- yep. Well, sir, your question is absolutely right. And le- look, there's so much we could talk about, I'm going to focus on one thing because it's probably the most important and that's the NHS. right, it's the NHS that is the most used public service. It's the thing that people care about the most. And right now it's not working as well as it should. And I'll give you one very simple idea of what I wanna do. You said a cold face thing, because we're gonna have to act boldly and radically if we're gonna change the dynamic here, if we're gonna actually solve these problems. So I want to tackle the issue that no one has bothered tackling for years. And that is the issue of missed NHS appointments because there are 15 million missed appointments every year in the NHS, not just at GPs, but at hospitals too. And that's wrong. It's not valuing our doctors properly, but it's also more importantly, depriving people of care that they urgently need, making them wait unnecessarily long. So I've said, I wanna to get tough on this. Now, lots of people are gonna say, oh gosh, well, you can't do that, or it's too hard, or you're being too tough on people. No, no, we've got to be radical and bold. But if we can solve that problem, and it's not about making money when I want to, fine people. It's about changing behavior. Because if we can get people to cancel those appointments in advance, even a few of them, we have created millions more NHS capacity to treat everyone who needs it and treat them faster. And none of us have paid an extra penny to do that. So there's a simple idea but if we can make it work we'll make an enormous difference to tackling the backlogs and that is just one thing we can do but you, that kind of radicalism and grip is what i will bring to all the challenges that we face you saw me do it in the pandemic and i will do it as prime minister across government
2: rishi can you just pop, uh... Give us a bit more detail on that. Are you saying that you want to charge people for appointments, or fine them if they miss them? And if you
6: want to f- find them, fines, how fines much are you missed. thinking? How much yes, are you f- thinking? Fines for missed. How much? Yeah, I, I've said indicatively ten pounds. But the point here is not about to. It's not. The point is not about to making money. The point is about for the first time in our society changing the culture where it shouldn't be acceptable to miss appointments because you're depriving people of care. Uh,
2: the lady here in the white.
5: Thank you. Uh, Liz mentioned that she would increase the defence budget by 3%. Where do you sit supporting our military?
6: Yes. Well, first of all, let me tell you about my track record. I made sure that we found an extra billion pounds to send to Ukraine just recently from elsewhere across government spending. I made sure that everyone prioritised differently. We could take the money and send it there because they needed it. It's the right thing to do. I was also the Chancellor that, alongside the PM and the Defence Secretary, oversaw the largest increase in defence spending since the end of the Cold War. And we did that in the middle of the pandemic because the threats were rising and the MOD needed to have the security of funding to deal with them. So that's my record. Now, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you 3% because I don't believe in arbitrary targets when it comes to something as important as our security. So what I will tell you is simple. I will invest whatever it takes to keep all of you and our country safe because that is the first duty of a prime minister. And it's certainly the first duty of a conservative prime minister.
2: chat right out at the back um, in the All white shirt the with,
1: his, with his hand up. Thank you. Hello, thank you. Um, I'm just thinking about um, your thoughts, Rishi, in the sense that normally you don't raise taxes and interest rates just ahead of a recession. I'm a fund manager and normally over my 40-year career, any country that's raised the tightened fiscal and monetary policy at the same time hasn't particularly ended well. Can I have your thoughts on that, please?
6: Yeah, so look, we, we have a situation at the moment where inflation is spiralling to 13%. Interest rates are already on the rise, right? So for what, forget about the moral argument against borrowing, which I, I make and I will passionately continue making till the day this thing is ending. Because many of you might say, I don't care, it doesn't matter, we'll push it off to another day. I don't think that's remotely conservative, but we can argue the toss. I think it is an enormous gamble to put £50 billion pounds of borrowed money into an economy that is already seeing spiraling inflation and rising interest rates. Maybe it'll be all fine. Maybe it will, right? Because these things, you never know. But it is an enormous gamble with people's savings, their pensions, and their mortgage rates. And it's not a gamble that I'm prepared to take. It's as simple as that.
5: Thank you. Uh,
2: there's a blonde lady just here in this this sorry, this section with your hand up there. Yes, yeah, she's being pointed to by the man next to her. With blonde hair put your hand up again uh, madam thank uh, you yes, the there we are
6: dress. Yeah.
2: good evening um mindful that taiwan makes more than 90 percent of uh, the most modern semiconductors which uh, we depend on in all aspects of modern life if china invades what's your plan
6: yeah so well, look i well first of all we need to make sure that we continue supporting our allies in the region. And there's lots of different ways we can do that to act as a deterrence to China. One of which we recently did when we sent our aircraft carrier to the region. Another one is our new partnership, the AUKUS partnership with Australia and the US to demonstrate our commitment to the region. Another thing is standing up for our values, as you saw when it came to Hong Kong, where it was right that we robustly stood up to China because they do represent the biggest threat to our economic and thereby our national security. Now, that's why I actually, as chancellor, passed a new law to make sure that we can protect this country against hostile foreign investment that is coming here to steal our technology or infiltrate our companies. As prime minister, I would use those powers. But you also make a broad point as well about resilience of our supply chains, because it's not just semiconductors. If you think about what one of the great transformations that's gonna happen over the next 20 years as we move towards net zero, is the electrification of our car fleet, as we all use electric cars. There's no point in us doing that if for those rare earth minerals that those batteries rely on all come from China. So we need to start now figuring out with our allies like Canada, Australia, America, a supply chain that means we are not reliant on China for new things that are going to be critical to our future economic success and security. And that's the type of strategy and approach that I would take to that problem. Yes.
2: Let's go to this chap here because he's got arm ache. He's had his arm up for so long, sorry. I can't,
4: I can't feel my arm, no. <laughs> um, Good evening, Rishi. Uh, I am chairman of a, cancer, a rare cancer charity and a trustee of Cancer52, which ought to be renamed Cancer54 because 54% of cancer deaths from rare and less common cancers. What are you going to do as a commitment to help Dame Cully Palmer and David Fitzgerald in the National Cancer Programme in order to ensure that rare and less common cancers have more of a profile and get more money?
6: Yeah, well, thank you for the incredible work you do in that space. Now, when I talked earlier about building an economy built on innovation, I mean in all its guises, and one thing that we are incredible at in this country is life sciences. And we all saw that during the pandemic, the most advanced economy for genomic sequencing, the first as vaccine or antiviral trials working really well here. So that is a glimpse of what is possible in this country. So I'm optimistic that we can continue to innovate to help solve some of life's most pressing challenges and keep people safer and healthier for longer. So that's why the NHS budget that I was proud to oversee over the last couple of years has the largest investment in health R&D that this country has seen. Because if we're gonna build that innovation economy of the future that not is just good for jobs and growth, but also is doing life-changing things to keep us all healthy, it means that we need to have a research base that is as vibrant as it needs to be. That's why we are increasing our R&D budget and why a big chunk of it is going to health. It's also why we need to take advantage of our Brexit freedoms that I talked about. When it comes to clinical trials, I want to make sure we do that differently so we can get drugs through much faster. It's why I funded genomic sequencing because we can now do screening at a far earlier age to detect things. It's why I was in California in December meeting companies that have new blood tests that can detect all these cancers and more far faster than we've ever been able to do it. Now, that is a vision of the future that I want to build in this country because if we can get that right, then not only can we create the jobs and prosperity, we can keep people healthier and safer for longer. And I'm confident that I can build the type of country that will do exactly that. But thank you so much for what you do, because it's very important.
2: (laughs) Rishi, we're down to three minutes. So quick quick questions, quick answers. The lady there with her um, spotty dress. Thank you.
6: Oh, right, yes, three minutes. Quick
5: questions, quick answers, please. Thank you. Um, Rishi, my question is more about you as a person as opposed to policy. I was very undecided um, and was able, as a district councillor, to go on a Zoom call with Liz and then, a few days later, a Zoom call with yourself. Um, I've come here tonight very much still undecided, but the key thing for me is about you and Liz as a person. Now, all of us here tonight are extremely, um, it's extremely important to us about what our next prime minister does for the country, but it's extremely important as to what we do, or you do, or Liz does, to win us a large majority in the next general election. Now, what that means is you engage in with the electorate. Now, your passion, from what I've seen tonight and on the Zoom calls, your passion for what you believe in, could possibly be portrayed as, if somebody doesn't believe the same thing as you do, it could be that they are wrong, as opposed to take them with us. So how will you engage with the electorate to ensure that we have a large majority at the next general election?
6: Right, fine. Well, that's probably a good one to end on, right? So, we, so that's a good one. So look, there's a couple of things we're gonna to need to do to support you and all our other fantastic councillors win. Now, I talked about my contract with members, actually, because that's an important part of it. One thing I want to do is raise far more money than we've ever raised in our party for one very particular purpose, and that is to put dedicated campaign managers in all of our target areas across the entire United Kingdom. Because you deserve the support on the ground. But in terms of appealing to people, the people that we need to appeal to, and people in swing seats everywhere, right, they are not actually that ideological, right? The people in the middle, are broadly comfortable with lots of different things, but what they want is a government that works properly, as a gentleman was saying, right? And that is what I will do. The most powerful thing I can do to appeal to those people for all of us, all those non-ideological swing voters, is what they want is a government that works competently, seriously, with decency and integrity at the heart of everything it does. That's the type of change I'm gonna bring. That's the type of government I'm gonna lead. And that's how we're gonna win the election.
2: Couple more questions this cap here on the end here yeah, with the black jacket on sir thank you be as quick as you can both questioner and answer yes, thank you
4: considering the age of everyone in here <laughs> and uh, the conservatives um, totally screwed
6: the pensioners by stopping the uh, the triple lock what what are you going to be doing about that considering- Right, sorry. Oh, so it wasn't a question about young people in the end. Right, sorry, right. So pensioners, a triple lock is back. It will be back and next spring, your pension will probably go up by around 10% plus, I would imagine, because that's where inflation will be in the autumn. And it goes back to what I was saying before, because I do believe that we should give people in retirement dignity. That's what a conservative government does. And that's why going back to what we talked about right at the beginning, millions of pensioners this autumn and winter are gonna have an extraordinarily tough time. They don't have the ability to go out and work more hours. They're already dipping into their savings in retirement. And as I said then, and I'll say it again, if we don't provide direct support to millions of vulnerable pensioners, it will be a moral failure of this party and the country will never ever forgive us.
2: Very quick question to end because we've gone old, let's go young because this chap here seems to be probably one of the youngest people in the audience. Let's ask him the final
0: question. We all continue to hear more and more about the struggles with young people's mental health. This is particularly so as we emerge from COVID and the impact of our well-being, our social and our academic development after nearly losing two years due to lockdowns. What are you planning to do about the mental health crisis affecting the younger generation who are the future of this country?
6: Yeah, very good. Right. So thank you. Thank you for the question. Look, I, I have two young girls, they're 9 and 11. I'll tell you one very specific thing we have to do is that like many of you in this room as parents and grandparents, you know, my eldest one has got her iPad. She's about to start doing things on her own. And I am quite frankly, petrified about what she's going to see and see and read and be exposed to online. And it is clear that it is an enormous, enormous cause of mental health challenges for young, particularly girls. And so what I want to do is make sure that we quickly pass a new law in parliament that we've been working on that puts a much tighter obligation on big digital companies to police the online world in exactly the same way as we would police the world that we walk around in because there is nothing more precious than our children and young people's innocence they should be de- they should not be denied that right and i first and foremost not as prime minister as a dad will make sure that we do that
2: so bring back the online safety
0: bill yeah. Brilliant. Perfect.
2: Thank you very much, Rishi Sunak. Thanks very much. The time is up. Thanks
0: very much. Thank Thank you you very much. much.
5: Thank
2: you. Still a lot to play for with three weeks ago. Thank you so much for joining us at The Telegraph. Hustings, have a very safe journey back. Thank you to both Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. Good night. Thank you.
1: And that was that. I would love to know your thoughts on who you think is the best person to run our country. Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak? Email me at chopperspolitics at telegraph.co.uk or tweet me, we're at chopperspodcast and we'll read out the best recommendations in next week's podcast. I'll be back next week so please do sign up for my daily Choppers Politics newsletter bringing you the best Westminster insights straight into your email inbox every weekday. Sign up for that, telegraph.co.uk forward slash politics newsletter. And do be sure to check out my weekly Peterborough Diary Gossip Column out at 7pm on Fridays on our website and in Saturday's Daily Telegraph. Thank you to my guests this week, Rishi Sunak, Liz Truss, and of course Camilla Tomney for hosting the live debate. Thank you to the Telegraph's brilliant events team for hosting it, to the video team for filming it, and to the brilliant team of producers who helped make this podcast, Giles Geer and Louisa Wells. And most of all, thank you to you for listening. I'll be back next week with our usual podcast. Please do tune in. And remember, if you can, please buy a copy of the Daily Telegraph newspaper. You won't regret it. Until next week, cheerio!